Okay, honey, Say then you need to take the game upstairs. Say something that you already said. Some, uh, being an artist is hard. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I'm Liz Paul, and you're listening to Life Soundtrack, the podcast. In this episode, we sit down with writer and novelist Allison Stein. We talk about her experience being a single mother to son Henry, what happens when Mark Ruffalo retweets your work, and Allison's love of graffiti art. So where did, did you grow up? I grew up in Mansfield, Ohio, um, which is the home of the Shawshank Redemption. Yes. That was really, we didn't have much of a claim to fame before that. Um, it was, you know, it's a, a small Ohio town that's like post-industry, you know, the, a GM factory town within the GM plant closed. Um, but I, you know, it was a great place for me personally because there was a really strong community theater scene. Weirdly, um, the arts were really big in that town despite its economic problems. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was really shy when I was a kid, and my parents decided that the best way to get me over my shyness was to make me do theater. <laughs> so, did it work? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> but I really love theater. Yeah. So, uh, they had me try out for the Music Man when I was nine, and it was just like a lark, but I actually got the part. I was Amaryllis. And the Music Man, and so you know, from a very young age, I met all these different people—you know, elderly people and and people in their 30s and 40s, which is very glamorous to me at the time—and mm -hmm. um, kind of was exposed to all these different kind of lives. And I think that was really great for me. That whatever I'd grown up to do, having all those experiences, having all those people talk to me and kind of teach me and help me grow up, uh, really shaped me. That's really interesting. I feel like not very many nine-year-olds get that. That breadth yeah. of experience, yeah. At that young age, I don't think I listened to all their advice, right. <laughs> <laughs> or at least yeah. don't remember it. Right, right. <laughs> right. But um, that was really, really fascinating. Yeah, that's great. And I've always been really interested in people's stories and kind of listening. Um, uh, I think it goes with the fascination with all sorts of things, just to be fascinated with lives. Um, I think is a real artist, especially fiction writer trait, just to kind of wonder what life had been like if I had been this person or mm -hmm. what this person is going through. And, um, you know, I've had people in my life who would read my fiction and, and think they see themselves in it, but I really don't write about people I know mm -hmm. because you can't lie. You know, when you know somebody, you can't invent. So what I like to do is, is write about someone that I saw one time on the playground, you know, or like a couple times at the drugstore. Who's that person? And kind of envision that life. Yeah. And so what is your favorite type of writing? Is it is it fiction or is it oh, more that's reportive? Hard. Or, I mean, I'm sure um, it's like picking your favorite child, but... Well, I think the good thing about, you know, doing a few things is that you can switch when something gets hard, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can switch when you get bored with it or... Or when you feel like it's too easy and you want to challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me, I, I always like to be challenged. Um, I think it is, I think I really do like writing novels. Just because, even though it doesn't make the most sense for me, because my novels have not made a lot of money. <laughs> you know, I didn't like, I'm not a big time novelist. Uh, and it's also spending a lot of time on a long project. Mm -hmm. Versus, you know, if you write an article or a short story, that could get out there and maybe make you some money. Mm -hmm. You know, but if you're working on a novel, it's like you're off the market for months. Mm -hmm. But there's just something about disappearing into a world that's just the best feeling in the world. I mean, I, I described it to friends as like a, your favorite TV show, but you control it. 
Yeah. You know, so it has that level of familiarity, um, but you're also lost in this thing you made. And that's really an amazing feeling. Now uh, I want to write a novel. You're making me want right, to go. Yeah, just you know, after you're this. You're making me want to go write a novel. <laughs> One thing I think is missing from maybe your title when I, you know, when I read it in, you know, on your bio or just kind of when people talk about you, you know, they say Alison Stein is a writer and a visual artist, which we'll talk about the visual artist part um, in a minute. But one thing I feel like is missing is um, I feel like you're an activist. You know, you're seeking social justice through your writings. And um, can you talk a little bit more about that? That's really interesting. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I don't think I'd ever feel comfortable calling myself that. But, you know, I wasn't comfortable calling myself a writer until that was my only job, <laughs> until I had to write or I would starve. I didn't have a teaching job or anything else. Um, so I think maybe it just comes from a lot of practice or feeling like I have to do something for a long time to earn the right to call myself that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not something that I mean, you know, I was active in, in certain causes when I was in college, but I don't think it was, you know, fighting for social justice was not really as supported as it is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, you know, companies use it in advertising, and right. um, it's not, you know, I remember even a few years ago, I was really worried about being part of a demonstration because um, there were arrests that were going to be planned, and I thought, if I get arrested, will I be able to get a job, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't think that backlash is there anymore. I hope not. Yeah. I think that the urgency is such that it's much more accepted. Yeah. You can come in. <laughs> it's funny that he walked in, because I just told, I told my son a few months ago, we visited um, the former Mansfield Reformatory. It's oh, like wow. a, a prison. Wait, near... is that where Shawshank Redemption yes, was filmed? Yes, yes, it is. That's near where I grew, lived as a kid. Okay. So we visited there. <laughs> And um, I told Henry, you know, we walked in, my sister said, now, you know, you can never, this is the only time you're ever going to go to a jail. And I said, oh, actually, I've told him it's always okay to be arrested for activism or, you know, for sticking up for, for someone else. So he's sort of growing up with it and yeah. knowing that it's not only okay, but it's important to yeah. stand up for other people and for what you believe in. But I think, you know, especially now we're at a time when just... Just speaking about your life can be activism, depending on what your life is, you know? And just speaking up and saying, I have a right to exist, and these people have a right to exist, and we all have rights, you know? Yeah. Um, can be considered uh, activism right now. But I also think it's unavoidable. I think yeah. it's, you know, essential. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love your writing so much is because <laughs> I feel like you speak very candidly about the things you're going through, you know, being a single mother, um, living with a disability, you know, all these things that are happening to you, you use as, you know, a tool. And you're telling your own story through other stories as well. And so I think that's really, um, it's really special and it's really strong. And I think that that's kind of what sets you apart from other writers maybe right now because you're able to be honest and be open um, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I sort of feel like, you know, I wasn't a single mother by choice. Uh, some some people are, and I respect that. But I was kind of blindsided by it. And at a certain point, I felt like I have nothing left to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, I've already lost the kind of life I thought I was going to have. Uh, I also feel like I learned a long time ago that the more, you know, 
people want their writing or whatever art they're making to be universal, right? To mm -hmm. appeal to everybody. But actually, the more specific you are, the more universal you are. The more specific your work is, the more specific story that you tell, the more universal it comes across. So if you're just writing about love in general, you know, it's abstract, it's really not going to connect with anybody. But if you're writing specifically about this one time your heart was broken, um, then I think more people are going to see themselves in that. It's this weird thing we have where we can put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, even if we don't have that specific experience. You know, just because if they make it real for us, then it is real mm -hmm. and we can relate, I think. Do you feel like you're speaking about empathy? Uh, I think so. You know, I think so. And as a writer, one of the, the earliest influences on me was a poet named James Wright, who was from Martins Ferry, Ohio. Um, and he, you know, he was writing a while ago in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, and he wrote about people who at that time did not get poems written about them, mm -hmm. like prostitutes and drunk old men and people in the town of Martins Ferry where he grew up. Um, his dad worked in a glass factory and his mom was a homemaker. And I had never written poems about those kind of people before. Mm -hmm. And th that just seemed more real to me than any sort of lofty, you know, romantic poem about some kind of life that I could never aspire to. Yeah. And so I did, I think I did start to feel even more deeply when I read those poems. Switching gears a little bit, um, you know, in your travels and in your experience, um, are you hearing the voices of single mothers in writing and publishing? That's a good question. Um, I think that's been slow, <laughs> I think, to emerge. Um, I think just in part because the opportunities aren't there and the time isn't there. You know, um, there's just so many demands placed upon our lives. It's very difficult. It's difficult to find the space to think, let alone the time to sit down and write considered things. Um, I, I think there are a lot of women who are mothers who are publishing and getting their voice out there. But I think that of a single mother or parenting in slightly different circumstances we're just not heard from as much. Mm -hmm. And what do you think? What do you think can be done about that? Well, I, you know, sometimes when I write things, I get emails from people from strangers, and that's always really nice. But I have a hard time responding, you know, just because life interferes. And um, so I think if somebody reads something that moves them, I think a great thing to do is to reach out to the writer and see if you can help them in some way. Um, the best way you can help an artist is by buying their work, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you read something that you like, you know, look up the person to see if they have a book or see if they have a CD or see if they are an artist, you know, and commission them for something. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people uh, commission me for editing jobs, you yeah. know, like proofreading. And, um, you know, that, that helps, especially if you're in a situation where you are struggling to get by. You know, um, I taught uh, at an art school in the summer, and that came about because the director of the program read an essay that I had written, and he reached out to me and offered me a job. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, offer people jobs. Yeah. Uh, if you have them, you know, look a little deeper for the people that could fill those positions. Um, you know, again, the reason we don't hear from these voices enough is just because the opportunity is not there. Mm-hmm. You know, so and give the them time. an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great. And the other thing I, I want to say is that, you know, don't just reach out to a single mother and say, we write about being a single mother, but, you know, reach out to her and say, would you like to write about anything? 
um, because it, it's it's a lot to put on to someone to like explain their experience to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you want to hear from writers of color, just reach out to writers of color and ask them to write anything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so just having an opportunity and having an opportunity to say whatever they want to say, I think, is so important. Yeah, and giving the energy to that platform, you know, exactly. whatever you want to write about. Right. Not pigeonholing folks and things exactly. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to read you another quote. Oh, boy. I'm going to read you an <laughs> Alison Stein quote. <laughs> so... I'm in this weird place where I've been publishing for a long time, but for the first time ever, I might have a few readers, and it's even more terrifying than not having them. <laughs> Do you still feel that way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so explain. I, I, I feel like I understand a little bit behind that, but explain how you feel. Um, <laughs> well, it's one thing to write, you know, and like I said, I, I did come from a place where I feel like I've lost everything I have to lose. I might as well just do whatever. Um, and it's hard to recapture that feeling, you know, because once you know, especially now, you know, with social media and so forth, inevitably if you publish something or post a video, somebody's going to comment. And I, I don't read those sorts of things, but sometimes they just come at you. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, can't, um, can't help but stumble onto them. So I, I think it's important for me to turn off social media whenever I can and to write from that place where I feel like um, I'm by myself. You know, it's kind of the pressure of people looking over your shoulder, mm-hmm. kind of wanting you to make a mistake or just expecting you to. Um, at the same time, I think there's also pressure to do the same thing you've always done. Mm-hmm. And as an artist, you know, the most important thing is to constantly challenge yourself and experiment. Mm-hmm. So that can be hard if you feel like people are waiting. Um, so anytime you can kind of turn those voices off, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Like in, even your own voice, your oh, yeah. own critic, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's hard, too. <laughs> That's really hard too. So, so what's it like when Mark Ruffalo, the actor, <laughs> retweets not only retweets your story, but writes, you know, makes it his own tweet? It's, he wasn't just retweeting. Well, how does that feel? Well, you know, I knew that 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 specific article you're talking about went viral or whatever, not because he retweeted it, but because my dad texted me about it. Like, if my dad has read it, <laughs> then it really had a strong reach. Um, it's scary, you know. It's it's scary because on one hand, I yeah, I, obviously I want to work, but I just I just want the attention to be on the work. I don't want the attention to be mm-hmm, on me. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the bad things about the era we live in is that it's really easy to access an artist or a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I just kind of I wish I could write things and then disappear. I mm-hmm. wish I could just kind of just write things and nobody would know where they were from. And, you know, I would still have enough money to live and work, but just kind of do my thing and then just be alone. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's hard, the challenge of that. It's hard at the same time. You know, that was a, a piece I wrote about fracking and, and getting the kind of attention that someone like that can draw to it is really important and really great. And I think some times the attention that these social justice issues need are going to come through personal voices and are going to come through people not just looking at statistics and facts and mm-hmm. but listening to people who are living lives right so um and and he someone like him is great because they do amplify 
Yeah, you absolutely. Know, he really amplifies causes. Well, and also, I want to say it was a fantastic article, too. Oh, thank you. So not only does it help that a famous actor retweets it, but it was very, very well done. Thank you. Allison and her son were kind enough to open their home for our interview. Hello. <laughs> I also had my daughters on the same evening, so we decided to make a play date for our kids. Needless to say, they were very intrigued with our recording session, so we let them play around a bit. This is the Life Soundtrack Podcast. Pod- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say, huh? <laughs> Talk to me about your mom. Well, she is... She is um, a writer, and she's an artist, and she's an editor. And she also has a kid. <laughs> is, is her kid pretty great? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course she is. So what kind of um, books does she write? Um, well, she has a couple poetry books and, and, and a couple novels. That's great. And do you, I heard you have them on your shelf. Yes. Yes. So you can see your mom's name right on those books, huh? Yes, yes. Do you remember what any of them are about? Um, well, I remember what they are called. One's called Final Girl. No, there's one called The Protectors. And there's one called The Protectors. I thought you might remember because one's a ghost story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, The Protected. It's one of my favorite. The Supervision? Yeah, The Supervision, maybe. <laughs> when Supervision came out, my first novel, Henry came to preschool that day, and he's like, my mom had a book out today. It's all about me. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> and, and yeah no no she read it right no no i was, I was trying yeah. to think hmm no no um so speaking of your book supervision and just in general you know you've had a lot of experience in different publishing avenues um can you talk a little bit about that experience so say your poetry book versus your um novel with a bigger publishing house and then um most recently the protectors how that how that all differs i think i went about everything kind of a weird way that you know people don't really publish poetry as much so a lot of poetry books mine included came about because of a contest Mm -hmm. um at a university press on mine were on university presses which you know they did a great job um and then the novel you know i'd had a a couple agents and they just just didn't work out i mean they had kind of star clients and I was not a star client so my books never got sent out and so I didn't have an agent and I heard about this contest that HarperCollins was doing for writers without agents and I thought well I've got these manuscripts I might as well send them in. So my first novel Supervision came about because of a contest. It won a contest um, for writers without agents Um, and um, I did it that way and then my most recent book The Protectors is a novella which is like a baby novel, like mm-hmm. a little novel. And that came about because, um, you know, just what we were talking about before, uh, like off, offer opportunities to writers. Uh, the editor of that series um, had read my work and he just sent me a message on Twitter and said, hey, do you have a novella? I'm running this novella series and we'd like to read your work and maybe publish you. And I said, yes, of course I have a novella. And I did not have a novella. <laughs> and then I checked into a hotel and I wrote one That's awesome. over the weekend. That's great. Um, so that's something that I've told my students over the years is be ready and lie. You know, when opportunity <laughs> comes, like lie. You have to, to get in that door because it doesn't open very wide. And for yeah. Very long. Have you done that since? Have you like 
checked yourself in a hotel and just written? I've not. I'd love to. It was actually a really good experience. Although, you know, you know, as a as a parent, he's also an artist. It, the time is a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. which can be great and can be really hard at the same yeah. time because you've got to get stuff done. But then it's hard to get stuff done. There's a monster. In there the is a total table. monster. Monster and like Ow. ghouls and ghosts. <laughs> So you are Dr. Allison Stein. Technically, yes. Yes. You did your dissertation on graffiti? Well, I did my dissertation on, uh, it's in English with a special edition on nonfiction. And so I wrote about Appalachia and the Rust Belt. I I grew up in kind of central Ohio, so a little north of here, which is kind of a different, I mean, Ohio is so different. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a different Ohio. But, you know, what I had in common with here was a lot of abandoned buildings um, a lot of rundown places, um, lots of opportunities for beauty and unexpected places. And, and so it's kind of um, essays about art and crime, which really interested me. And um, I, I'd always, I'd lived in San Francisco for a, a bit and New York for a little bit. And especially in San Francisco, I had noticed a lot of street art. And so that interest just, just continued. And I, I researched a lot more of it mm-hmm. um, for my dissertation. And then I also wrote about, like, oh, a small circus I wrote about. And I wrote about uh, this folk singer, blues artist, who um, lived in, in New York, uh, upstate New York, so it was kind of a different Rust Belt. But just the idea of um, people that were kind of outsiders or art that was kind of outside. Mm-hmm. That has always interested me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so when... It- is that the moment you fell in love with graffiti and learning more about it? Or? I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a nerd. I love to research, and, you know, I start just getting really into something. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, I um, some of my friends joke that I, I need to have, like, a million lives because I'm just – I'm interested in so many things, and I just get so many ideas, and I get so inspired by all sorts of things. I think that may be one of the reasons that I had difficulty in the academic job market <laughs> was because I'm just, you know, I'm kind of all over the map yeah. as far as my writing and my interests. Because you're, you're following your interests. Right, so exactly. you're delving into exactly. whatever you're into at that moment, and then right. it might change in six months or a year. Right. Or, or, but that not that wonderful? Well, I think that's what being an artist is. Yeah. Um, I... You know, just like the writing and the activist label, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable calling myself an artist until recently when um, someone who was an actual artist who went to school for art said, you're an artist, you need to start saying that. Um, But I think the definition of any sort of creative artist is somebody who's always experimenting, always trying, always trying to learn new things, you know, never satisfied. Yeah. Um, Never stops coming up with ideas or, you know, leads to run down or stories to follow. And I love that you um, claim that your artwork is your side hustle. <laughs> That's true. It's not a very profitable side hustle. But I do illustrations for uh, The Rumpus, which is a, an online magazine. And it's just as a volunteer. I don't get paid mm-hmm, for it. Mm-hmm. But I love it so much that even though I don't have any time, I will make the time to do that. Um, but, you know, it's hard when... Art is your job in whatever way, whether you're, you know, teaching music or teaching writing or writing for a newspaper. It's hard to muscle the energy to make more art mm-hmm. uh, after work. Yeah. So um, I had done a lot of drawing and painting as a child, and then I just put it aside because it wasn't my career, you know. Right. So returning to that has been really important to me and really great. 
Well, I feel like if you have a creative yearning, you know, you can probably do anything. You know, if you love music, you can probably write. If you can write, you can probably draw or at least try it. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think your brain is always making those connections. Yeah. Excuse me. Okay, honey, then you need to take the game upstairs. Say something about you already said. uh, Being an artist is hard. (laughs) (laughs) I read somewhere that you sort of knew what supervision was going to be about based on was it a train ride or was it what was the specific thing that you, um, the impetus for it, writing it was a couple things I was before I came here I was living in New York City very briefly and it did not go well and um, I was living really far north in Manhattan and so to go anywhere it was like a 45 minute train ride so I was on the subway a lot and I remember um, that's just something that they would say the train would stop for no reason and an announcer would say, this train is being held by supervision, which means, like, whatever, the, the headquarters, there's some kind of incident on the track. But I always wondered, like, what is supervision? And that, that phrase stuck in my head. Um, and then I ended up coming to Ohio uh, to go back to grad school. And um, I was renting my own place for the first time in a long time. And I decided that I was going to fulfill a lifelong dream and have a piano. <laughs> So I answered an ad on Craigslist for a free piano, and it's that piano over there, which is like the heaviest thing in the world. It's It's, beautiful. It's out of tune and like a monster, but I can never get rid of it because that's why I wrote Supervision, because it was in this really old rundown house in the middle of the country, and the woman who lived there said the house was haunted and told me a few stories, and none of them are in Supervision, but... You know, just the idea of this big house and then the train and and also a girl kind of fleeing New York and, mm-hmm. and going to the country. So what advice would you give, you know, an artist who's embarking on becoming a parent? Is there anything that you would say? Oh, gosh, that's hard. Um, well, I mean, I remember after Henry was born, and this was this was actually related to, I mean, I gave birth at home without pain medication. Yeah, girl. <laughs> and I said to my friend Jerry afterwards, I'm like, how come you didn't tell me it was going to be like that? And she said, there's no way anybody Mm-mm, can tell you. Nope. <laughs> I think that's kind of true of parenthood. Like, there's no way anybody can tell you. And it's different for everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's not that it gets easier. It just gets different. But um, I think it definitely sharpens your time and your drive. I mean, I was really driven before, but now I'm like, this will not end me. (laughs) This will not stop me. Um, And you just, uh, you know, you don't waste the time that you have. Time becomes so precious. It's like the most precious commodity you have. And every time I can, I work, you know, work has always been important to me, but since having my son, it's it's so important to me. Um, for itself and for, you know, making sure that I still have an identity as an mm-hmm. artist and as a, as a person who's not just a mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still like a fully realized being. Um, and then also like the third level for him so that he knows, you know, your parent is not just a parent. Your mom has a life and your mom has dreams and those are really important. And it's really important for you to have dreams and for you to support your partner's dreams too. So um, I think however important your art was before you have a kid, once you have a kid, it's, it's so important. It, it just helps you, I think, make it through. 
Great. Yeah. And also travel while you can, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you that's, know, that's a good one. <laughs> before you have a baby, like go somewhere, um, you know, do a residency or an artist colony because that becomes really hard. Mm-hmm. Once you have a kid. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so this much. Was so fun. This was really great. Thank you for thank sharing you. your stories and your Thanks home. For- and- The Life Soundtrack Podcast is co-produced by Liz Paul and sound engineer Adam Rich. It is a collaboration between Life Soundtrack and WOUB Public Media. You can find out more on www.lifes-soundtrack.com. Subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.